Inside of uh, uh, the handout, there is an insert, and the insert has the, the sermon outline. The handout will, can be used during the sermon this morning to take notes and follow along as we make it through this passage. Now, as you know, last week was the first uh, Sunday of the year. We did our baby recognition, which is always uh, just a great Sunday as we are reminded that we as a church family All of us together with all of these new babes that are born into our church family year after year, we all bear some degree of responsibility in uh, helping these kiddos grow up in such a way that they come to God in trust and love and in faith and become not just just a, a, a literal child into the world, but a literal child of God at some point in their life. And you'll remember that one of the things we said is that this is something that we teach, but teaching is not adequate alone. Not only do we teach, but we also need to model. And because it was the first of the year, we used the word first as an acronym to describe the areas or remind us of the areas that in life we need to model that God is first. And so using the word first as an acronym, the letter F stood for finances that one of the ways that we show that God is first in all things is in the way that we use our finances, that that the treasures, the blessings, the material goods that God gives us in this life are to be used to bring glory to him. The letter I is for interests. All of our hobbies put together are never going to trump the importance of God or the interestingness of, that's not even a word, but you were, it is now, and you were here when it was first discovered, so congratulations. So, so interest, none, there, are, there are no hobbies, there are no interests in this world that take precedent over God. And this is one of the ways that we show God is first. The letter R stands for relationships. God is always first in relationships. The letter S is for schedules. Our schedules are a way that we make room in our life. We make our life spacious for the priorities. And that is one of the ways that we show that God is first, by making sure that God is always a part of the priorities that we plan in our day-to-day and our week-to-week. And then the letter T, and this is probably the most compelling out of all of them. T stands for troubles. And when we show that God is first in our troubles, how we cling to God, we have faith in God, that there's a strength and a peace an inexpressible joy that comes into our life, even in the midst of trouble, it is one of the most dynamic, most vital ways that we show that God is first and the greatness of putting God first in our life. Now, here we are in the second Sunday of the year, and as we always do at the beginning of a year, we want to think about the future. And for most of us, we have a pretty good idea of what a new year, new me looks like, and so we set some pretty great goals. I mean, we may want to lose weight, and so we desire to eat a healthier diet. Or we want more money in savings, so we spend less. Or we want a better relationship or to have a relationship. Or it might be at the beginning of the year that one of the things that we want to have done this year is more time, better time, more quality time with God. And so we want to spend more time in the Bible, more time in prayer, more time in worship, more time in ministry. Or we may want to spend more time with family and with friends or more time, you know, uh, uh, in, in the gym or less worry or less anxiety, less social media in our life. And a lot of times we start off, especially the first, second week of the year, we start off great, but we end up sabotaging ourselves within the first 14 days of the year. In fact, that's what research bears out. 
Research has shown that in America, 71% of all New Year's resolutions die within the first two weeks. That's a fact. And then uh, recently, and this is according, you know, I don't know how authoritative the New York Post is, but the New York Post says, you know, February 1st is now the official day in which all New Year's resolutions come to a cease. And the reason for that is that most Americans are impatient when it comes to goals. Goals that take time and destinations that take time to arrive at. Now you know as well as I do, change takes time. Travel takes time. And we often sabotage our lives. We sabotage our, our own development, our own growth from a lack of patience. We short circuit our goals for the year when we become, when we grow impatient. Now why, why is that so? I think it's because of this truth that's up here on the screen. Patience is difficult because waiting is torture. That's the bottom line. Patience is difficult because waiting is torture. Now if you're to walk away with one thing this morning, I want it to be this statement. And the statement is this. Patience is a key ingredient to everything and anything that is of importance to us. Patience is a key ingredient to everything and anything important to us. Think about a great marriage. A great marriage is not built on the first day. But it is the result of how you live together each and every day. A great family is the same way. A great family does not appear out of nowhere, but it's the result of how you parent each and every day. Expertise in whatever field you might be in, or even with a hobby or with a craft. Expertise does not come overnight, but it is the result of working on a skill each and every day. A great career doesn't pop up the first day out of school, but it's the result of going to work faithfully day in and day out. Now, there are a lot of things that work against patience in our culture today, and one of them, and I, you know, sometimes it's like Hollywood. You know, sometimes Hollywood actually does get it right, and we need to give them kudos when they do, even, you know, though a lot of times Hollywood doesn't. Social media is kind of the same way. Social media gets a lot of blame for a lot of things, and justifiably so, but there are a lot of things that, that social media gets blamed for that is strictly unintentional, and it's just, it's just the result of us maybe not thinking through what it is that we're actually watching on the screen. And so sometimes social media works against patience in our culture. We we love to get those, those videos. We love to get the YouTubes of somebody who may be free soloing you know, the, the face of Half Dome there at Yosemite Park in California. Or it might be, you know, somebody sends us a video on YouTube of some guy soloing on an electric guitar. And we see the climbing or we see the experience of playing that guitar and we go, that's for me. That's exactly what we want to do. And we say to ourselves, that's, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And we do not take into consideration that all of those abilities, whether it's to climb up the side of a mountain or to play a guitar or to play the piano or to paint, that all of those abilities and all of those skills were the result of a daily, ordinary, Routine of practice over years. A daily, ordinary routine of practice. And that's why it requires patience. 
Why? Because patience is a key ingredient to everything and anything that is important to us. Now this is true when it comes to the development of our character, our spiritual character as disciples of Jesus, and it is especially true when life isn't easy the way that it is right now. I mean, all of us have experienced over the last two years pushback and friction and resistance and, and the bad times along with the good times and there have been tragedies and painful moments and there have been crises and there have been moments of anxiety and worry. And in our text that Chandler read just a couple of minutes ago, we're going to see three important things about patience and why patience is needed in the world today, especially by those who say that they belong to the kingdom of God. And so what we're going to see is patience, what it is, patience, how you get it, and patience, why you need it. Now let's start at the beginning. What is it? Now, James is the brother of Jesus, and he's writing this general letter to the church. And patience is something that I think is very special to James. Because you know that James, the brother of Jesus, not all of Jesus' family, accepted the fact that he was different, that he was actually the Messiah early in life. In fact, it was some years into Jesus' life before they began to realize that this brother of mine is actually the Messiah. And I think that when James reflects on his years of growing up with Jesus, he begins to see that there was an inordinate amount of patience on the part of Jesus in, with his younger brother James in accepting him as a Messiah. And as he's writing this general letter to the church, it's kind of going through a rough period of time. He says in James 5 verse 7, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And then he draws on something that they had all seen a million times in their life. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. Now what James is doing is he's, he's trying to help the church understand that not all of life is easy. In fact, there's a lot more down sometimes than there is to up. That there's a lot more valley than there is to mountain. And that there are times when, when patience is absolutely necessary to the success of our faith. And he says, here's a metaphor, here's an illustration. I want you to think about patience and discipleship following in the footsteps of Jesus, going hand in hand, the way that patience goes hand in hand with farming and waiting for the rains to come. Now kind of behind all of this, what James is thinking is this. He's asking his, his, his readers to just imagine, you know, they know the metaphor, they know what farmers do. Could they ever imagine a farmer who on Monday would go out and purchase a piece of land, he would get the title to it, the deed, and then on Tuesday he works really hard to remove all of the rocks and all of the stumps and to get the land ready and cleared. And then on Wednesday, he tills the ground. Thursday, he plants the seeds. Friday, he expects the rain. Saturday, anticipates a harvest. And then on Sunday, because there's no harvest that quickly, he gives up and he starts on Monday his new job as a civil engineer. The problem with all of this, as James is pointing us to, is that the day does come if we wait patiently. The day does come when the harvest arrives. But unless there is patience, the harvest, the valuable harvest, is going to be missed. Why is it missed? It's because the farmer is not patient. 
And James says, look at the farmer and see how patience is a part of the rhythms of his life. You cannot be a successful farmer unless there is a degree, a growing degree, a serious degree of patience in your life. You have to depend on the fact that the rains will come. They do come. You may wait, but they do come. They'll come in the autumn. They'll come in the spring. And with patience, the harvest comes. So if I were to give you a definition of patience for our purposes, life in the 21st century, it would be this. To be patient is to order your life around the eventual and not the immediate. To be patient means that you're ordering, you're building, you're organizing, you're prioritizing your life around the eventualities of the kingdom of God and not necessarily the immediates. And now notice how this pertains to discipleship as we think about the daily ordinary practice of walking with God and walking in the steps of Jesus in a day-to-day situation. Most of who you are at the end of your life, who you become, who through the help of the Spirit and through the teaching of the Bible and through your fellowship with brothers and sisters, much of who you are, what you become at the end of your life is going to be based on the daily ordinary and not the spectacular once in a while. Wisdom in life, discipleship, the journey of faith is who you become day after day, step after step, patiently, patiently walking the path of life. The life of a disciple of Jesus is built on the daily practices of walking with the Spirit until the virtues of the kingdom of God begin to blossom in your life. And there is a point where in walking with the Spirit and some of the things that we're going to talk about in just a minute, through space and time, there is this moment in which patience begins to blossom in your life. And when that happens... Your life stands out rather than blends in. It brings more healing into the world and less hurting into the world. It is a life through patience that lends itself to wisdom and not foolishness and impetuousness and rashness. It listens more, it talks less. It is the life that, you know, patience is just that essential key ingredient to life and to everything and anything that's really important to us. And James says, take a, take, a, take a lesson from the farmers. The harvest does come. So the question is, how do you get it? Well, there are three things to consider in this text that James is giving us. The first one is this. Remember. Every day there is a truth. In fact, you know, as a disciple of Jesus, there are there are all kinds of truths that need to be memorized and, and heaped up into your heart and treasured in your heart. But there's one when it comes to patience that James is in particular interested in, and it's this one. Verse 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the, until the, until what? The Lord's coming. The Lord is coming. What we need to remember on a daily basis where patience is just part and parcel of what it means to be a disciple and to live successfully, faithfully in this life is that God's future is coming. God's future is coming. 
There is going to be a day in which there is no death. There's going to be a day that is coming in which life just stretches on forever and ever until the horizons of our, our knowledge. There is a day in which there's not going to be the racism and the greed and the pride and the meanness and the hostility and the cruelty and the war and all of the things that plague us in this life that we're dealing with right now. There is a day when God's future is coming and it's nearer now than it's ever been before. That's what we remember on a daily basis. That means that right now we're living in this period of time called the meantime. The meantime is that time between right now and the time that's down the road. And, and think about how this works. I mean, we've all read the stories. We've all seen the movies where there is this character who is far from home. And he finds himself in a crisis or he finds himself in danger or he finds himself in the straits. And as he's trying to survive, as he's trying to keep his head above water, what does he do? He remembers, he thinks, he remembers, he has in his mind the picture of the home, the girl, the mom, the family, of what it's going to be like when he finally is out of the danger, he's out of the foreign land, he's out of the, out of the crisis, and he's finally safe and sound at home. And when he does finally get there, he tells everyone who will listen to him that the only thing that kept him going through all of the crisis, through all the turmoil, through all the floods, through all the storms, was the thought of the girl, or the thought of mom, or the home, or the family. And he tells them, I was able to survive. I was able to keep going. I was able to make it one more day and to get back to you because I imagine what it would be like to finally get home and truly get back to you. Christian patience in this life is developed through the ordinary, daily ordinary practice of remembering that the Lord's coming is closer today, nearer today than it ever has been. And it will not be as it is today but it will be as it was always intended to be. And that eventuality is what shapes us in the immediate. So how do you get patience? You remember. And this is what you say, and I want you to say it with me. I won't forget. Say it with me. I won't forget. And then the second is to persevere. So the first thing you do is you remember. The Lord is coming. It's not always going to be the way that it is today. The second dish, uh, decision is to persevere. It is a decision to stand firm, to not give up. And he says in verse 8, you too be patient and what? Stand firm. Strengthen your heart because the Lord's coming is near. Now believe it or not, in this short little text of about six verses, the word patience shows up four times, the word perseverance shows up twice. Perseverance is about staying the course even in the face of trouble. Perseverance is about not giving up even when success is looking a little doubtful. To persevere is a decision to say, I am not going to give up and I'm not going to give in. 
And that is a decision that people in the kingdom of God make nearly on a daily basis as we face all of the trials and the tribulations of this life, of all of the temptations to give it up and to go an easier, sometimes a different route, but obviously an easier route when the going gets tough. And so what James is saying is that patience, patience is necessary because the Lord is coming and you'll miss it if you don't remember that fact. And to be patient, you have to remember the Lord is coming. There is a future that is coming. And the second thing is you make a decision. Because of that future coming, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to stay tough. And then the third thing is I'm going to follow because there are those days when you need an example. You need somebody that you can look at who has gone through all of this before, who has been through the same kind of thing that you're going through, has made it through to the other side, and can give you insight as to how step by step, day by day, breath by breath, thought by thought, you're going to be able to make it through that crisis, through that that tunnel, that dark valley of the shadow of death yourself, and get to the other side of it knowing that there is a banquet that has been prepared for you. And so he says, beginning in verse 10, brothers and sisters... As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. That's really what you're looking for when you're looking for an example. You're looking for the example of someone who has a blessed life. And James says it is a person who has persevered. You have heard, he continues, of Job's perseverance. We know what Job had to face in the Old Testament and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. So when it comes to remembering, we say, I won't forget. And when it comes to perseverance, we say, I'm not going to give up. And when it comes to following somebody, we say, I know somebody. I know somebody who's been through this before. And the text ends with giving us two reasons why we need this kind of patience. People, problems, and God's promises. Is there anything in this world that is more trying, that is more besetting, that is more aggravating, more frustrating than people, problems? Is there anything more aggravating? Is there anything more aggravating than people, problems? There's... Those are, well, I take that, maybe technology, but people problems are right up there at the top, right? And what is it that we want to do? What is it that really causes us to lose patience is when somebody is just so aggravating. And what do we do? We begin to complain and to carp about them. And James is saying, you know, that is a wrong move, especially against brothers and sisters. Because God God is a God of judgment as well as a God of grace. And one of the things that comes clear is that the judgment we give to other people is the judgment we're going to receive. And that's why we want to be gracious. And you cannot be gracious unless you are patient. The other is God's promises. You know, there there needs to be a little part of every day that is set aside to just thinking about what it's going to be like when heaven and earth come back together again. The renewal of all things. You don't know what we're going to look like, and John says as much, and Paul does it 
Philippians chapter 3 says this much, that there's going to be a day in which, you know, we don't know what we're going to look like, but on that day we know that we're going to be like him because we will see him face to face, and it's going to be his power that's going to transform our lowly bodies into the glorious body that he possesses. And on that day there's going to be the death of death. And on that day there's going to be the, the death and the eradication of everything that has ever broken our hearts and hurt our souls and has caused us to cry and to weep because of the pain and the suffering and the worry and the anxiety, the guilt of it will be removed because it will be no more. And that's what you remember. And because that's true and with this sanctified imagination that God gives us where through his spirit in us and the spirit that has inspired the word of God, we begin to imagine what that day is going to look like. And we remember and we make the decision that I'm not going to give up. I am not going to give in. I am going to be patient and I'm going to persevere. And on those days when you need more than that, there are people that are in your church family that surround you with the examples of what it means to hold the course to lash yourself to the wheel even though the waves are coming over the sides of the boat. To be able to, as, as, Jesus, as Jesus exemplified in that stormy water, to be able to sleep even in the middle of the storm. There are people like this in this church that can help you with that. And that's, and that's one of the things that we need to work on for 2022. We have not started off in the most positive way as a culture or with health or with any of these kinds of things. Many of us have faced loss at the beginning of this year that we never thought that we would face, at least not for a very, very long time. And we're patient. We're patient in this life. We're patient in all of the ways that God is changing us and growing us up and the fruit of the Spirit as we walk with the Spirit, one day discovering that there are buds that later on turn into blossoms, which later on turn into the fruit of the Spirit, and where there was a lot of anger, there's now self-control and kindness and gentleness. And where there was impatience, there's now patience. And where there was just a lot, a lot of sadness, there's now this inexpressible joy. And there's peace, and there's love. A love that can't be explained. It's, it's only the result of what God is doing in a heart that's been turned over to him and opened up and said, come what may, I'm going to live like the Christ. And that's what happens in 2022. It may be that this is not possible for you from a spiritual sense, a kingdom of God sense, because you've never given yourself to God in this way. The truths that I'm talking about are the truths for disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. If you've never made that decision to enter into the kingdom of God, for your sins to be forgiven, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because your sins have been washed away in baptism, to confess that of all of the lords that are throughout the entire universe, there is only one Lord of my life, and that is God and his son Jesus who lives in my heart. If there is a way that we can help you make that connection and to grow in the kingdom of God and to experience all of those blessings, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and we praise God together. Let's stand and sing. Bless